Last time on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. I've said this before, we're getting into like super uncharted territory. I know about evil Ultraman, and that's about it. Ooh, that was a weird part. Okay, what about you, Matt? <laughs> you said touch on, which makes me want to circle back to this concept of Roman porn. So is it like watching gladiators do it so you can get your crucifix? You know, and before anyone accuses us of, accuses us of being a Marxist podcast, which really wouldn't be the worst <laughs> thing. Why would evil Ultraman be called Chet Jaguar? See, I don't even. Welcome back to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a show where two seminarians discuss and read way too much into kaiju films. Uh, as always, I'm David. I don't think that's ever changed. And with me is Chris. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Because you already got kicked off technological issues. Yeah, this is the first time I remember it being our fault, not the guests. I know. Wink. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we do have a guest, don't we? Oh, shoot. I just thought he was my personal masseuse. Well, that's news to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, then why are you rubbing my shoulders? This got really awkward. <laughs> hey, and joining us is Danny DeMana, the, uh, I guess, I, I don't know, is it like owner, co-founder, like founder of no, Originator? I'm What's scared that? to use I'm scared to use the word owner because the subject matter I I super don't own the subject matter and I'd rather not <laughs> have the real Toho. owners sending me C and D's because uh, that would be that would be rough. But uh yeah, Toho's lawyers are on I'll, the I'll line say now. Creator slash author. Yeah, the brains be, yeah. behind yeah, the yeah. <laughs> Godzilla novelization project, a novel yeah. approach to the King of the Monsters. How are you doing, Danny? I'm doing good. Um, I'm I'm a little more concerned about C and D's than I was about uh, 30 seconds ago, but I'm doing pretty I'm doing pretty good, darn good. I'm excited to talk about our subject tonight. Yeah, our show is nothing except a source of constant anxiety and fear for our guests. Well, that's uh, okay. You know what? You caught me. I'm actually quivering right now. I'm just hiding it really, really well. It's, I can't our, help it. You, you guys are very intimidating. So it's you know I'm I'm sorry. It's yeah. How it is. Well, I mean, Chris has got the whole Tony Stark thing going right now, so I would mm -hmm. be intimidated too. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and for our listeners, we're not going to explain what that is. Yeah. No, you just have to use your imagination. It's a couple right different ways I could go. Uh, yeah. Really though. The magic of radio. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, we want to get into the movie here. But Danny, you know, give us a few minutes. Talk about yourself. Not only the project, but I know you do some voice acting as well. Um, I've heard you on like the, actually, I won't spoil wherever, but just, you know, talk about yourself. Let the listeners know who you are if for some reason they don't know you yet. Um, well, uh, my my main uh, claim to quote unquote fame in the community is that, um, the, the Godzilla community, of course, is that I, as you mentioned, I am the creator and um author of the Godzilla Novelization Project, which is a ridiculously ambitious, um, ongoing, it will take years and years, writing project on my part to um, convert all of the Japanese Godzilla films into full, free-to-read, for obvious legal reasons, novelizations. <laughs> um, I mean, hey, I don't I don't own the character, so I operate my, pr my project on um, the uh, fan fiction principle of, you, I'm not earning money, so... You know, I'm not mm -hmm. stealing and nor would I ever try to earn money off of it. I have too much respect for Toho and the, the franchise to do that. But yeah, it's a very, very in-depth research heavy um, process that's been years in the making. And I'm just having a blast doing it. I've I launched the project a little over two and a half years ago now. 
I've um, really been blown away and humbled by the, the the following of readers that I've gotten since then, and mm -hmm. um, people asking me for opinions on their own writing projects and sending me their what they've written in their artwork and uh, asking my opinions on things and asking me to come on to podcasts. It's uh, it's been really really amazing. I mean, I've I've been a Godzilla fan since uh, you know shortly after mastering potty training. Basically, you know, it's it's just one that of those things. That doesn't tell us how long it's been. No, I, I guess it doesn't. <laughs> I was like, what, five years? What are we working <laughs> <Yeah>. with here? <laughs> it was about a year and a half ago. Um, <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. No, re realistically, it was about I was about six or seven, so way after potty training. I have to defend myself a little bit here. Um, but yeah, it's it's been with me for over two decades now. Um, it's one of those things that started out with VHS tapes and on TV mm. and grew into you know all kinds of crazy stuff. It grew into co collecting the movies. It grew into researching the movies. I, uh, you know, I've got, I, I've, I've got deck, you know, two decades, probably solid, just worth of research that I've accumulated. I love learning about new things and tracking down obscure films. And, um, you know, it, this doesn't make for great radio, but, uh, I have a lot of toys behind me right now. So I'm obviously <laughs> a big, uh, memorabilia collector. We can vouch um, for that. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Guys. Do you have yeah. do you legit have pics on Twitter? Yeah, I've I've put a few uh, collection photos up. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll put some some photos up of some things in my collection. Um, but uh, I should do that more because I've got I yeah. keep getting comments because I've done some a, a lot more podcasts lately, and I keep hearing people say, "Listen, you got to show that stuff." So yeah. I'm gonna try to find a better way to just. Uh, share my collection with people and tell people about we cool agree. things and stuff like that. But yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm into all kinds of aspects of it. I'm, uh, you know, I I'm a very, uh, you know, I'm into the nostalgia aspect of it. I'm into learning new things. I'm into the history and I'm into behind the scenes and, you know, uh, all just anything giant monster I'm in. You know, I'll collect mm -hmm. it. I'll watch it. I'll read it. I'll I'll do anything like that. And um, I'm also a big reader, which is one of the reasons I'm doing. Godzilla novelization project because there aren't adaptations of the books in in English and there aren't even that many in Japan. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's kind of a niche that I saw as not having been filled and I thought, well, I'm just going to do it. And I had to shut that part of my brain out that was saying, you know, this will take years and years and years and it may drive you even more insane than you are already obviously are. But um I had to turn that little guy off because he's 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 the uh, the enemy of progress, right? So, I um I I've just had a blast with it. I've been really humbled by the response it's gotten. Um, the fact that people have, you know, really really enjoyed what I've done, and that I've been a, a positive voice, uh, in in the community, which I I really really happy about. And I just I just at the core of it all is about spreading happiness and positivity, right? I know that's cheesy. I no, know that's cheesy, I mean, but you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it, it's true. You know, I do what I do to, to bring a little bit of joy to people and maybe present, I mean, cause we've all seen the Godzilla movies, what, like 18 quintillion times, right? Just once, Chris. just <laughs> once. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even, even so, if you've seen them all one time, if you've seen them all a million times, it, it, it doesn't matter. There's something that keeps us coming back to them. And, uh, you know, I don't claim to be you know, you know, like the, the be all end all of knowledge on it or anything, but I just, I'm just a fan who likes talking about it and likes celebrating it. And, you know, maybe using, you know, what humble writing skills I have to present them in a new and unique way that reminds you of how much you love them. So that's, that's really what I, 
what I'm all about. And I, I guess I should mention the voice acting thing because yes, I, I have done, uh, I have done some voice acting. I'd love to do some more. Um, I was the voice of Dr. Sheeta in, um, the, uh, the, uh, Godzilla unmade episode bride of Godzilla, <laughs> uh, which the Kaijusaurus podcast put together. Steven Sloss, uh, put together three unbelievable teams worth of, uh, stories, um, that adapted lost Godzilla projects. And I, you know, I, I've had people ask me before, like, well, how involved were you? And I'm like, no, no, no. Like th they did all the hard work. I mm -hmm. auditioned for it and they, I guess they, they liked the audition. So I, I got to be, <laughs> I got to be the voice of, uh, of Dr. Sheeta, which was great. Um, it was such a fun episode. I really enjoyed that one. Thank you. Yeah. I got, I had a lot of fun hamming it up because I got to do the, uh, like 19, because we're actually, it's kind of funny because we're talking about Gigan tonight. One of my, the models uh, for my, my voice was, um, the, you know, Ted Thomas, who did the voices, the, he does the voice of uh, a Kubota in Godzilla versus Gigan specifically, where he's, you know, he can tell he's like a, you know, 30 something or 40 something got British guy living in Hong Kong, that, you know, where he says Godzilla instead of Godzilla, you know, I love <laughs> I haven't those watched voices. that dub in so long. Uh, I love it. I love That's that. What I grew dub. Up with, so. Yeah. I alternate back and forth because I, I, I love the, the dubs. I mean, they're, I've, I've been finding myself watching the Japanese versions more lately because those are the versions that the GMP chapters are based on because mm. I'm trying to stay true to the original versions and uh, make sure that the scripts and the dialogue in my versions are at, uh, completely accurate or as accurate as I can make them to the original versions so that the original vision of the creators comes through. But the the dubs, man, I mean, they're just such an important part of my childhood and how I found the movies that I can't like, I can't just put them on the shelf and you know, pretend they're not there. Like if I need a nice, you know, nostalgic hug from my childhood, I'll throw in a dub. You know <laughs> what I mean? But uh, that's what I was trying to do. Kind of one of those dubs for, for Dr. Sheeta. And that was great. Um, I did um, a voice for a character that um, I, I co-developed for the Monster Island Film Vault. I did the creepy, uh, creepy mushroom doctor. That was really Matongo. Yeah, that was yeah, really the good Matongo. too. Yeah, the Matongo. Dr. Dorif his mushroom children. Like oh, that was God. that was <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of feedback telling me that I creeped people out with that voice. That was and, horrible. Uh, it was horrible. <laughs> Can you do the episode recap in that, or is that? <laughs> um, I might I might have to. Previously on oh, the Kaiju Hustle oh. podcast, oh. I love that. <laughs> a little bit of the evil laugh there, but yeah, I I had a blast with it. Um. So I'm, I'm hoping I can do more kind of fun voice stuff like that in the future, just because I'm not, an, yeah. I'm not real, I wouldn't call myself an actor. I'm just a goob. I'm just a goober that likes doing silly voices. But as, again, as long as I'm entertaining people, that's what I care about. Right. So that's that's it. So, yeah, I do some voice stuff. I do writing. I I do some artwork. I haven't really put a lot of my personal art up in a long time because I've been focusing on writing. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much my epic superhero origin story. I think that's, <laughs> what a fitting way to say that for super. this episode. Yeah. What's that, Chris? Oh, it's a fitting way to talk about a, a superhero origin in a movie like this one. Right. But so when are you doing Godzilla 98? <laughs> oh, I get that question all the time. Um, and are you going to use the Japanese version? Yeah. <laughs> oh, how I would love to say that the answer to those questions are really soon and yes. <laughs> uh, but on the, the 98 film, um, 
I, I'm not planning on doing right now. And the only reason is because there is an English language novelization of it that came out in 1990. There's actually two. There's a junior version oh, and an goodness. adult version that does exist. The uh, The adult novelization is actually really solid. It's actually from... I wore uh, the cover off of that book. Yeah, it's from Nick Totopoulos' perspective. It's first person mm -hmm. from his perspective. So I feel like I can't... I don't want to touch that because somebody already put the work into that. So if you really want to... If you really want to read it, you know, you can go on Amazon and buy it. Same thing with the legendary films. Yeah. You know, same thing with the, I mean, somebody has already put, and very recently too, put a lot of work into that and I'm not going to step on their toes. I'm focusing on, um, book movies that don't have books yet. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's my goal. I, I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I would love to try to write 1998. I would love to do that. That'd be fun. Um, but, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I can see you got, he's crying right now. He's very disappointed. Yeah. But, it really hurts. Yeah. I, I apologize. <laughs> you know, it's maybe, uh, maybe one of these days, if there's enough, I've, I've been at all in all seriousness, I have been asked that question before. And if there is demand and maybe a few years down the line, I'll tackle it. I will, I, I won't demanding. say never, but who knows? I am demanding. Well, well, you're, you're young <laughs> enough. One of these days you'll eventually get to it. There's only so many of these, right? Yeah, I mean, there's only... David I, said there's only, like, two more episodes left. <laughs> it's like, I mean, there's only, like, what, a baker's dozen? So, yeah, in total, totally. so it's fine. It's fine. I, I, I'll like, get, I, a baker's dozens, baker's dozens. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, too much, right. that's too much math for my monster brain right now. That's The nice thing know. for your project is you'll be done before you have to adapt King Kong versus Godzilla, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll probably have the entire 30-plus movies done by the time that thing hits theaters. Uh, oh, man. I've, I I really want to see it. Well, yeah, because it's never going to hit theaters. Again, <laughs> HBO Max. We keep saying this. It's You know what? Every, every I, I think so at this point. I mean, I'd, I'd love to eat my words because I would love to see this movie in a theater. But, I mean, it's I'm HBO Max. <laughs> really starting to think really starting to think it's heading to hbo max i mean we'll, it's got to we'll be see. something like that we'll yeah. see. You can follow we'll up see. an episode of justice league the snyder cut with king kong versus godzilla i mean what's better than that that it's like the the five or six hour double bill that we never wanted to ask for we were too afraid to ask for it so no i think that's entirely wrong because everything on twitter is asking for exactly that okay that's, i know we could point. stay here for another hour i'm gonna uh, take the conversation away from <laughs> snyder cut probably was um, so i will say you know i think you're right i think there is a uh a, a very i don't know if it's a need but like what I enjoy about what you're doing is the reason why I'm really bummed that we haven't got the novelizations or I guess the novels that Toho commissioned for the anime trilogy, right? So you had these yeah. two books that seems like there's a lot of awesome world building going on that we have not been privileged to have translated for us. So I think there's just something that with these movies, I mean, they're, they're so enjoyable, but there's so much that you don't really get because the movie's not trying to flesh everything out the way that you are, you know, cause I was going through like your Godzilla vs. Hedera, you know, going through the introduction, the first chapter and like the amount of time you're spending on some, some of these small details, like that's the kind of stuff that when I read a novelization, I want, right. Yeah. I don't want just to read the movie. I want mm -hmm. to immerse myself and be able to see things from different angles that the cameraman wasn't trying to look at. 
Right. So I think you're doing something unique that if people do take the time to actually read it, you know, they will enjoy that. Um, and I do want to talk a little bit at the end about how uh, if people are interested in what you're doing, how they can support you as well, because um, I do know that you do have some avenues there. But um, if you are interested as well, you did just do a episode with uh, Michael over at the Kaiju Groupie podcast. Is that right? That sure is right. I uh, I rambled on for so long, we had to cut it in half. And uh, <laughs> the first episode clocks in at, I, I think, an hour and a half of just us sitting there talking about VHS tapes and, um, you know, like our, you know our, our, how we found this, the series. Because he started out with, you know, the question, tell me wh- where it all started for you. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Going, we going that far back, but it was a, it was a delightful conversation. Uh, Michael is a, a good friend and a really a lovely person, and we had a fantastic conversation. Uh, part two should be out here soon. Um, so if you feel like hearing my voice for you know almost two and a <laughs> half three hours, then you know. But uh, no, it's it's seriously if if for no other reason than just to support his show, go listen to those episodes. They're uh, they're they're fun. The first one's out. Second one will be out soon. But um, yeah, I had a I had a, I had a blast doing that. Show. I'll make sure to awesome. put links to that in the show notes as well. Awesome. Thank you. Um, so let's go ahead and uh, get into the movie for tonight. I say tonight. Like, when are you going to be listening? Uh, so we are <laughs> discussing Godzilla vs. Gigan released there, released in Japan on March twelfth, nineteen seventy two. And Danny, if you could read our plot poem. All right, you got it. Here we go. Please don't do the Matango guy voice, please. No, uh, no, no. <laughs> darn, that's so I, creepy. I won't, I won't do that to you. I won't do that to you. All right, let's do this. Being a manga artist was Gengo's dream job when he wasn't getting held up by corn on the cob. But he was down on his luck without a solid employer and his karate girlfriend, her persistence, and annoyer. Then he discovered World Children's Land inside of Godzilla Tower, along with intrigue, conspiracy, and a quest for ultimate power. Cockroaches disguised within dead human corpses and mind-controlled aliens, their destruction quite remorseless. Thankfully, Godzilla and his new pal Anguirus arrive to defeat the monsters and Godzilla Tower, the aliens inside. So, the question we'll discuss, along with others on the way, does this film, in fact, really have that much to say? Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Danny. This, this has been Dr. Seuss Daniel uh, <laughs> trying his Man, best. <laughs> I just, I can't hide my influence. I love Dr. Seuss. Don't care. No, um, don't, what do you mean don't care? Dr. Seuss is awesome. I know. <laughs> I will never grow out of it. Like, I don't no, care if no, I, you know. No, should you. Yeah. That's, that's, it'd be a criminal to grow out of Dr. Seuss. <laughs> All right. So staff, we do have a uh, director is June Fukuda. Uh, so he is back at the helm um writers this time so we do and i kind of want to get into when you talk about the trivia i'd love to hear what you kind of discussed with um you and nathan did your co-panel your joint Mm -hmm. panel last year um so i know you kind of touched on this so this is the first film we really see with takeshi kimura and shinichi sekizawa which i thought was interesting um so produced by tomoyuki tanaka uh, music was Stock by Akira Ifakube, and then uh, Kunio Mayauchi returned for the uh, for the Godzilla March. Uh, cinematography was by Kiyoshi uh, Hasegawa, 
And then special effects was Teriyoshi Nakano. So, Danny, I know you had some stuff prepped for just kind of the history of this film, um, getting into some of the writing elements as well. Yeah. So this is a film, um, and I'm p- particularly glad I, I got to come on and talk about this one because this one's a uh, a favorite of mine for a lot of reasons, but one of which is because I think it might be one of my favorite stories about why it exists, how it exists, and why it is the way it is, because it is such a bizarre kind of a film. It's almost like a Frankenstein film. It feels like it's, you know, because it, it doesn't, because it is stitched together from various things. It's got mm-hmm. all of these crazy things uh, that are working to make it possible, but are also in a way should be working against it to make it less enjoyable than I think it ultimately is, because I think this is a very enjoyable film. Um, and the context that I'll give takes us back to 1962 when King Kong versus Godzilla came out and um, destroyed the the box office. <laughs> I mean, that movie made so much money. It put more butts in seats than any Godzilla movie since. Um, it's still one of Japan's highest grossing films of, of all time in general. And it wasn't alone. 19, the early 1960s was the beginning of the economic miracle in Japan. It was a time when the economy was booming and people weren't just making movies, people were going to see movies. People were going to see them. They were putting butts in seats and movies in the early 1960s have made more money than any movie, uh, you know, well, I won't say any movie, but just consistently the film industry in Japan Mm -hmm. has made sense. They have yet to recover from what happened next. And that was, of course, the... You know, the downside of the uh, the economic mar- miracle ultimately taking its toll on the country a few years later. Uh, a lot of people are familiar with the, um, you know, the the economic issues that were going on. I mean, if you watch the Godzilla and the Gamera films and know any of the history of them, you'll know that uh, pollution was obviously a problem. Um, mm-hmm. Children wandering around without parents watching them was a problem. Um, Space women were a problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it, was I, it a wasn't a problem to me. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was it was a mess, though. I mean, it's uh, you kind of, you know, a lot of people, especially outside of Japan, laugh it off and say, look at the big, silly slime monster or mm-hmm. look at the, the silly little boy in his yellow cap. But then when you look at him and say, well, you know, that yellow cap was to keep him from getting hit by car. Right. Like mm. that was that they little boys in Japan wore the yellow caps back then because they were walking home and there was a, you know, an epidemic of children getting hit by cars. And so they wore the yellow caps to protect them to, so that people would see the cars. There's the context Which makes for more hat. sense. What was it? Gamera versus Giron, where he talks about, he's like, traffic he wants accidents. world peace and no more traffic accidents. Traffic and accidents. you watch it and you're like, what are you talking about? And then there's your context, yeah. right? So that's just one end of it. And all of that, plus other economic things that are too innumerable to get into here, ultimately caused the collapse of the Japanese film industry. Um, almost overnight, Toho had downsized considerably. I mean, mm-hmm. and if you and if once you add in the fact that uh, Eiji Tsuburaya had passed away, uh, it was bad news bears on the, you know, for the, for the special effects department. And then in, you know, the late sixties, 19 to 1970, the contracts for most of the big Toho actors and actresses expired. Big familiar faces like, uh, you know, Akira Takarada, Kumi Mizuno, Takashi Kimura, all these guys that we've, you know, we've, we see their faces and all, they were the repertory group that made the fifties and sixties Showa films so memorable. Their contracts were up and they were gone. By the time the 1970s started, Toho didn't even have a, a a special effects department. 
Like they, it was just gone. They didn't have the actors that they'd had before. They didn't have the budgets. And that sets the stage for Godzilla versus Gigan, along with the, the release of Godzilla versus Hedera. Because Godzilla versus Hedera, you know, made its money, but internally at Toho, especially at the top, uh, you know, it's it's no secret that Tanaka-san was not a fan of that movie. There's conflicting reports on how he dealt with not being a fan of it, and some of it's been conflated. But long story short, after that film came out, he knew that there needed to be some kind of a course correction. Mm-hmm. He basically pulled together what few people at Toho were left, Teriyoshi Nakano, um, uh, writer Shinichi Sekizawa, and um, Takashi Kimura, who was writing under the pen name uh, Kaoru Mabuchi at the time. And he basically said to all of these these folks, "Listen, we're gonna do another Godzilla movie, and you're you have it. You have this one task. You have to take it back to the golden age. You have to make a film that feels like Ghidorah, the three headed monster. You have to mm-hmm. make a film that feels like Monster Zero. You have to make a film that feels like one of those. You have three dollars and some pocket lint and like a month. Go, you know, go make this movie." And if you look at it in that context, it's kind of a miracle that Godzilla versus Gigan exists at all, yeah. um, because it's it's just such an amazing uh, miracle that it all came together because they had nothing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, breaking it down, they had no special effects department and very little money to do anything with the effects that, that they were able to pull off. Eiji Tsuburaya was gone. Thank God they had Nakano-san there because he's great and he filled the shoes very nicely. They didn't have the budget to do a lot of crazy stuff. They basically had a bud. They were like, well, we're going to do this crazy big film with all these monsters. <clears throat> and they they had to eventually pare it down because two ver- earlier script versions had different slash more monsters in them. So the fact that we got four monsters in the movie is in and of itself a miracle. And the, that it's, they, ha- they had the suits lying around. They fixed Angiris as best they could. They fixed Godzilla you know, as best they could, but his wear and tear really shows. Um, they fixed King Ghidorah very, pretty darn nicely, but at the cost of his articulation, he doesn't move very much in the film. And they built this beautiful Gigan suit, you know, but that's really about it. They used, they, they didn't have enough money to do a lot of miniatures. They didn't have enough money to shoot a lot of stuff. And they didn't even, they didn't have enough money to hire somebody to do an original score for this film. They didn't have you know, Akira Takarada, Kenji Sahara, uh, Yoshifumi Tajima, uh, Yoshio Suchia, uh, Kumi, again, Kumi Mizuno, actresses. And they didn't have anyone that you would recognize. They didn't have their faces. They didn't have behind-the-scenes talent that had made those 60s films so great in what they are. Mm-hmm. And yet they've been given the task to make a film that is up to that standard. That's mm-hmm. That's unbelievable. It's impossible. And yet the film exists, and I argue that it's a very, very entertaining film. Is it a perfect film? No. Is it a uh, a film with a lot of a uh, lot of loose seams? You betcha. But <laughs> it's I it's it's a personal favorite of mine. I think where it really ended up shining was in the writing because I love the characters of this film, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But um, the 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 short version of how the writing process began was um, and this is something that uh, Nate Marchand and I did for our GFest panel mm-hmm. uh, in uh, 2019, which is as of this recording last year, and uh, we had a blast putting that together. And the long the long story short is that Tanaka-san went to Kimura and Sekizawa and said we're going to make this movie. You each need to come up with something and then present it to me. And each of them came up with a different draft. 
with uh, that were they're very similar. They were given similar um, you know parameters to work in. It had to have King Ghidorah in it, for example, was a big one that they had to work with. They got to have King Ghidorah in there because that's a name, that's a marquee name that will put butts in seats. Got to have King Ghidorah. So they worked King Ghidorah into the story. Um, both versions have aliens in them. Uh, one version has a Daimajin ripoff. Uh, you know, one version has Megalon before Godzilla mm-hmm. versus Megalon came out, but he wasn't a big bug at the time. He was described differently. Uh, there's a big kind of dragon monster in one. Uh, it, it's it's kind of crazy. Was it Varan supposed to be in it? Varan was supposed to be in one of yeah. the drafts. Um, I don't quote me on this, but something in the back of my head is saying Baragon was supposed to be in one of them. But yeah, I heard I, Baragon was supposed to be in one of them. Yeah, I I don't I can't recall. Quote the horse. Yeah, it's kind of it's it's crazy how many variations it went through. After Hetera, but before Gigan ultimately came out, it went through so many different like iterations. But what ultimately happened was um, Sek- one of Sekizawa's versions got picked over Kimura, which is interesting because Kimura kind of disappeared after that. Like he didn't he didn't write any other Godzilla films after that or any monster films after that. He kind of fell off the map. And uh, it's kind of my my theory. I have I'm, this is just something that. I think makes sense. I have no proof for it, but I feel like after he had his hetero script rewritten by Yoshimitsubano and then had his ideas for Gigan passed over, he was he was never that enthusiastic about writing monster movies anyway. So he was probably like, Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take off. Sekizawa can handle this. Um and Sekizawa himself was on record as saying, like, there are no ideas left. I mean, he'd mm. been writing for Toho monster movies since 1958. He started out with Varan, and that's that's you know almost a decade and a half straight of writing of writing mostly Godzilla films, and then throwing in things like Mothra, um, which I consider his masterpiece. I think that's like, mm, I mean, a it's a great film, but it's written really really well. Um, but Gigan. Uh, the theory that Nate and I came up with is that the the characters in Gigan really feel like um, Sekizawa characters. They feel like characters you'd see in a 1960s Godzilla film. They have that instantly likable kind of a feel to them, and they're all unique and kind of interesting in their own way. Uh, but we reasoned that it's very possible Sekizawa lifted elements of uh, Kimura's uh, villains for for his script. Now, there, there aren't any uh, villains that are completely applicable to the the nebulan cockroaches in Kimura's uh, scripts, but his the bad guys in, in Gigan feel very, very uh, dark and dour and Kimura-esque. So it, it does mm-hmm. feel like there's a little bit of collaboration there. It's it's um you know it's it's kind of a shame that he didn't go on and write anything else because Kimura was a fantastic writer. Um, but ultimately Sekizawa's version with some extra you know tweaks and such went before cameras as um Earth Destruction Directive, Godzilla against Gigan. Um, and that's how they filmed it. And then they, from that point on, they had to get around whatever, you know, whatever obstacles they came to. They had a script, they had characters, they hired act whatever actors they could get to fill those roles. They used stock footage to pad out the, you know, the moments where they couldn't shoot new scenes. They wrote special effects scenes around what stock footage they had that they thought they could use. They made the really great decision to use uh, Akira Ifukube stock music, uh, which I think match fits really well with most of the film, and it does kind of bring that veneer of nineteen uh, sixties quality up slightly. You know, mm-hmm. it feels a little bit more like you're watching something classic, not quite, but almost there from that era. So 
again, when, when you put it all together and you get some of that great Sekizawa wit and a little bit of social commentary, which is subtle in this film, but it's there to the point where I think it gives the movie a depth that most people don't quite expect about commercialization and all that stuff. We'll probably touch on that later, but you know, for me, the the biggest aspect of this film's behind the scenes story is that by all accounts, this is a movie that should not exist in its, in the form that it's in. If somebody came to me and gave me the parameters that I laid out earlier and said, you don't have this or this or this or this or this, but you do have three bucks in a couple of weeks yes. and a little bit of lint I found in my pocket. And most people would look at that situation and say, you know, no, I'm, I, that, I can't, we're not going to do it because it, it can't be done. And, but they did it. And for what they had to work with, I think the film turned out as good as it possibly could have. And whether it works or not is up to everybody, each person's personal preferences and their opinions on it and all that good stuff. But for me, I, I mean, I, I love it for a lot of reasons. I grew up with it. That's a big reason. But I also really, really respect the work that they were able to put into it. So um, that's what I always I always tell people is that this is a, a rare case where this movie, based on everything that was told to these guys, should not have come together. Um, and I think that for, for what it's worth, they actually use their resources better than they would a year later with Megalon. Uh, as much as I adore Megalon, I, I always say that um, Gigan, Godzilla versus Gigan was the um, result of circumstance, but Megalon was the victim of circumstance. <laughs> it's a slightly different uh, way that it turned out. But um, again, for, for what it's worth, I love the movie and I think the story that that story is just as interesting as anything in the movie itself, and it kind of puts the movie's existence in a a cool perspective. That's that's what I think anyway. And scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree with you there. It's it's we'll get into that here shortly, but I think there's one of the films that really does benefit from that additional context. So. Chris, if you could go ahead and read the poll for us and see how we fared there. I would love to, but can I make my comment now before it escapes my brain? Oh, of course. Um, so you had you had tied together the original King Kong versus Godzilla in your discussion with this movie. And I also have a connection I'd like to make between the two films. Go for it. Uh, because in the American dub, you know, th- both of these movies feature characters that were hurt by their corn. Um, in King Kong versus Godzilla, Furu's corns were hurting really bad, and in this one, Shosaku <laughs> Takasugi was held up by corn. So, um, in light of that, I would just like to point out that they're connected by uh, adversarial corns. <laughs> okay, right. so every word that just came out of your mouth was brilliant and wonderful, and uh, I thank, thank you, you for thank bring, you. I thank you for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> Because I'm going to be perfectly honest, that's something that like that my brain should have made the connection on and gotten a, like a chuckle out of before this, but I never thought of that. And no, now my mind about, is blown. I'm thinking and, about uh, their corns all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been established that if I was to get in a car wreck, this show would be absolutely fine. But if Chris <laughs> was to get in a car wreck, I would have to give up because no one would listen anymore. <laughs> None of the, the uh, there'd be fewer corny jokes, is what you're saying. Yes. Hey, you know, the thing is, if I'll something were to happen to David, I'd be talking to all our guests, be like, hey, what movie are we talking about? And you're like, the one we're recording about right now. 
Um, yep. Anyway, let's talk my, about this poll. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is my Google account wouldn't just automatically disappear, so you'd still have the schedule. <laughs> yeah, but like, let's look how much I use it now. Anyway, know, that's true. Uh, poll time. Poll time. Uh, so we have now reached the seventies. So we asked, what is your favorite era of giant monster films in the Showa era? Wait, and what? That's the wrong poll. What? That's what I was wondering about. Did I post the wrong poll? Yeah, I think so. Oh, whoops. Okay. I was like, Hold okay, on. it seems different enough. All right. <laughs> technical difficulties. Listeners. Yeah, that's not technical. That's completely on me. This is our first one. Y'all can wait. <laughs> um, I'm curious to hear what the results of that poll were, though. I did not see that one. Oh, I think I found it. The stock footage. Okay. Um, I, the winner was 70s. Um, wait, okay, so on this one. No, no. wasn't it the 60s one? Oh, yeah. Anyway, y'all, <laughs> y- y'all just follow us on Twitter because don't follow me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> remember when you said this show would be fine? Anyway, <laughs> let's look at this actual poll. So it's common knowledge that Godzilla vs. Gigan uses stock footage throughout the film. Although, it's clear they missed some of the best, most critical moments. So which, uh, which important scene should have been included? And I do want to point out that David pointed said pretty early that this is this one seemed pretty like neck and neck the whole time. Do you think that that? I mean the the results are still pretty close. Yeah. But um, all right. So I'm gonna go from the least significant scenes that you voted for to the most, and the first one is actually blasphemy. So the lowest, the least important scene was Minya's birth. And um, I'm just going to say that's the most important day on the Kaiju calendar. So the second scene, uh, number three on the poll that should have been included was the sludge baby from Hedera. Um, the second choice was Ebra's own Top Gun scene with the volleyball. Now, there's no excuse and, for that. That should have been. Yeah, I agree. Oh, yeah. But the one that you all chose and not by an overwhelming majority was uh godzilla's dance from astro monsters so honestly i think moist minya should be in any movie with stock footage that's what i'm saying like honestly you know like when they show the logo of the production company at the beginning it should just be like moist minya and underneath it says toho (laughs) moist Um, minya productions in association with toho presents I'm so just, the I'm Toho just... lawyers who were listening about you adapting their stuff are now they've picked their pens back up and they're furiously scribbling notes now. Moist <laughs> Minya and everything. What was that about Moist Minya? That's oh, what I'm saying. Man. We'll give you the we'll give you the adaptations. You give us more Moist Minya. Um, I feel like you know, that's, that's a win-win. Where, win. I like that. <laughs> that's why it. Godzilla versus um, or I'm sorry, King Kong versus Godzilla was delayed. Wasn't enough Moist Minya. The oh, they had to go the back monsters. for reshoots. Okay. Mm-hmm. They had to get yeah, that he little extra time to put Minya in there. I like put the him back in. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's our that's our poll. So let's, let's right. talk about this movie. <laughs> if you haven't stopped listening already. So as you know, we do a, a bi-weekly discussion uh, before we record. So it's time to discuss Godzilla vs. Gigan. I'm not sure if I've ever seen a movie in both number one and dead last and more lists than this one. 
So the question goes both ways. Does this film deserve critical acclaim? Or is it quite objectively? Or is it objectively quite lame? Excuse me. Okay. So we had a lot of new faces this time around, which I thought that was a lot of fun. I wasn't expecting as many replies as we got for this one. Um, so I'll start with Ken Bockelman. It's awful. Easily one of the worst in the franchise. The excessive use of stock footage looks so bad, and the characters are unlikable. I do like Gigan as a kaiju and all of his goofiness. Then we have Jonathan, uh, JJ Hicks 19, who has a blog about barbecue, and it makes me hungry all the time because it's so good. Um, <laughs> he said, it's a movie I want to like more than I do. Stock footage and a fight that's far too slow really bring this one down for me. The human characters aren't awful, but everything feels by the numbers. It's my second least fave of the era. So then we get Christian Gonzalez, which did the artwork for the uh, Godzilla Unmade episode that uh, Danny was on. And he's actually going to be on uh, one of our episodes here shortly. Um, I feel like this movie would have been elevated with less kaiju action, honestly. The blatant use of stock footage is one thing, but the sheer amount of it honestly causes the film to drag big time. Uh, the new sequences with Gigan were more than enough. That said, I still love it. And then we have Bobby who says, it's the movie that made me a Godzilla fan and I freaking love the human cast and I feel it did the utmost it could to try to creatively work around its budget with the stock footage to try to deliver an utterly grueling monster fight. I think it's one of the longest. Then we have Davia D said, of the superhero-esque Showa movies, it's easily the best. Good villains, good humans, good fight, despite the stock footage, which isn't much of it. It's silly, but fun silly. Oh yeah, I'll add, I really dug the Angerous Godzilla friendship. And then James Davies comes in for the win. Last time I watched this movie, I was drunk in a capsule hotel in Osaka. It was a fun trip down memory lane. Never had a desire to watch it since, though. It just never stuck with me as much. Gigan is a cool monster, though. (laughs) Okay. So, as you know, we kind of give our preliminary thoughts on the film. Um, Chris, if you could go ahead and start, and then Danny, share a few thoughts, and then we'll go on to our talking points. I know. The thing is, I've already shared my most important thought. Actually, it's not even true. It's my my theological reflection cooking, and it's amazing. But um, now the stands are so much higher because Eric has memed you. Would you say they're as high as Godzilla Tower? Uh. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay, <laughs> so this one's funny. Uh, who is it? Ernest Hemingway who said humans contain multitudes and contradictions and all that. Uh, because everything about this movie was pretty much if you had put this movie on paper. This is why David doesn't tell me anything about the movies before I watch it. Because on paper, this would have been probably my least favorite movie. Like the stock footage. And, um, you know, I've, I've said recently, I think, at least on the show. And if not, I'm going to say it now and I'm about to hear about it. Sometimes the monster fights in this, in Ultraman and in Sentai, all kind of drag on for me whether or not they're actually that long. So if you told me how long the monster fight was in this one before I watched it, holy crow, I might not have tuned in. But um, it actually kind of worked. Like, I think you feel it trying, like, who was it? I think I matched close, most closely with Christian, uh, Christian Gonzalez. Because, yeah, less stock footage, I think, would have worked a lot better 
but um, I feel like I could feel the extra energy and care put into the connecting scenes, like the stuff between the stock footage, I guess. So I kind of dug it. I, I understand where stock footage comes in once in a while. So on paper, this one shouldn't have worked, but I, I ended up still liking it. And it might have been a little bit of like, I don't know if tonal shift is quite what it happened between this one and the last few, but like now that we've moved from like, okay, this one's a giant turtle to like, this one's a giant iguana with like big old swords instead of hands. Like, heck yeah. Like, I don't know. I'm kind of liking this new, and I know we're getting like evil Ultraman in an episode. So I'm kind of digging <laughs> uh, Ultraman Belial. Um, getting all these evil Ultramen. Like, I'm kind of liking this change. Like, at first I was like, I think we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I'll make some thoughts here. Like, we're kind of shifting from Godzilla's roots, and we're moving into a different feel entirely, it feels like. And I'm kind of, I'm on board, honestly. I'm kind of liking it, so. Cool. I figured you would be for how much you like Super Sentai. This is like right up your alley. Yeah, and it was it was kind of getting to the humor that I like. That um, I felt I wondered if, and it doesn't bother me if it didn't, but it feels like this one might have bridged the age gap a little better than some of the previous ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I I do wonder what puts it in last place because if it's just the fact that they needed stock footage, I don't know. It happens. Yeah, but. What uh, obviously, Danny, you've you've shared your your love for it, but if you had to sum it up, like why does this film mean so much to you? Well, this one, um, <clears throat> it it kind of falls into the same pattern that I I have with uh, with a lot of the Godzilla films. Uh, this one's a little bit higher up than nostalgia rung f- for me because it was one that I saw a lot as a kid, and. Um, the nostalgia part and just how much fun I had watching it as a kid is always going to be an important part of why I, I I love the film. But as I've gotten older, I found a lot more to appreciate. I mentioned the writing before and how I really love the characters. Uh, I think this cast of characters in this film, the human, the human characters are some of the most fun. Um, They're not necessarily the most fleshed out, but I don't think that, I don't think they needed to be. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm an artist, so I kind of, I feel like uh, Gengo and I would be pals. I don't know. I feel like I <laughs> hang out and he could show me whatever lame monster he was making. But um, I don't know. I like the characters. Uh, I also have I, you know, I just went into that long backstory for it. I think that story is fascinating. And having context like that always makes me it gives me another reason to revisit the film and watch it and um, see how they took the shortcomings that they were presented with. And they you know did something interesting with it. Mm-hmm. I have a huge huge soft spot for Gigan, the mm-hmm. monster himself. I love that cyborg chicken. I love him. I think he's, it's such a wacky design. I mean, you just mentioned we're kind of moving away from the roots of the, the, the genre and we're getting into some crazier stuff. Um, and as the, as the seventies movies uh, continue on, there's going to be wacky stuff. Um, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but Listen there's going to be some wackiness. Trip. Yeah. There's going to be some wackiness. Uh, and Gigan is really kind of where they let the wackiness kind of, you know, they, they they let their wacky flag fly a little bit. He's just such a crazy design. He looks like something Ultraman would fight. Uh, nothing had been seen like that in the Godzilla series before. It's such a unique character, uh, just visually interesting. 
Um, I, I have a, I, I just love the design. Actually, it's, um, in a closet in my apartment, I have a bunch of foam chunks uh, that, when assembled, will be a Gigan suit. I am actually in the process of making a suit awesome. uh, that I plan to take wow. to conventions. Uh, it's been, it's, it, 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 it doesn't look good right now. It <laughs> looks like a bunch of foam, but uh, it's an ongoing project, on again, off again, that I've been working on. So that's, if that, that kind of sums up how much I like this character. He's one of my favorite monsters. Uh, definitely one of my favorite of the, uh, of Godzilla's kaiju opponents. Um, so he's memorable. Um, this is really the movie that I think uh, gave me my love for Anguirus also, because this is like his first prominent, um, you know, I'm the friend of Godzilla role. I mean, he, this mm -hmm. is his third movie, but this is, this is really the one that kind of put the whole, he's Godzilla's buddy thing into my mind. And I always liked that as a kid. Um, I actually have never had a problem with the length of the monster fight. I thought I I love the big long battle, the big long drawn out battle. So having that that extra long fight at the end, I think it balances out nicely with the human heavy front part of the film. I think it there's kind of a nice balance there. So I um, again, it's not it's certainly not a flawless piece of of cinema by any stretch of the imagination. There are a lot of objective uh, seams showing in this movie, but I. It's just I I don't like nitpicking movies, man. When they make me when I enjoy them this much, so it's it's just it's just a fun time. I just have a this is a movie I always have a blast watching. Yeah, and I get where you're coming from. It's you don't want to nitpick things. I just I've also had to learn that like I can't I don't want to force myself to like things either. No, that's you know no don't do that. It's, like that's well, that's not good. but that's one yeah. It's just it's there's this tendency that. You know, we shouldn't be critical or, you know, if you like something, don't be critical. And I mean, if that was the case, my wife wouldn't love me because she happily corrects me when I need it and I'm happily receive it. <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's it's one of the films that nostalgia doesn't really come into play for me. So I grew up watching it. Right. And mm, yeah. probably the, one of the one of the movies I watched the most. Um, so part of the reason why I am glad that you're on here because I was thinking back to uh, a book that I've been reading and the author is discussing like the parables of Jesus and how it's not necessarily the, the topics themselves that are difficult. It's the fact that we've become overly familiar with these ideas that we don't think creatively. We don't think deeper. Um, so for me, I've watched this movie so many times and I've grown to not enjoy it that I knew I needed to have someone on that did enjoy it. So it wasn't just me and Chris being completely polar opposite opinions here. Because for me, however long till you get to the monster fights, I think it's some of the best that we've had in the series so far. The characters, even though they're not A-listers, I mean, they're well-written, they, they act their parts well. The, the bad guys are cartoonish which i mean you know he is a manga artist right so it makes sense i like that correlation there um you know even the stock footage i like hearing stuff from you know uh ifakube's older stuff especially like uh i think there was a, a song from frankenstein conquers the world and that movie has such a great soundtrack yes it does. but you get to the monster fights and to me there's there's a couple different things there right where they're flying around Godzilla Tower, and they're super tiny. Then all of a sudden, they land, and they're bigger, right? Yeah, the, the scale and, is very wrong. Yes, and the, <laughs> the infamous, we're going to put King Ghidorah and taking stock footage from 
the daytime scenes, playing with the nighttime scenes. And you're right. I mean, literally throughout half of the fight, King Ghidorah is just standing there because the way they fix the suit, he's immobile. Um, so there's just enough there that it just, it takes me out of it. Now my son, he loves it and that's fine. And I'm not going to be like, well, don't you realize like all of these scenes are from another movie? I'm not that kind of dad, you know, maybe when he gets a little (laughs) older, but it's just, it's one of those things where I look at the fight itself and they really didn't need to add anything at all. Maybe like one or two scenes. Right. But it's so jarring when it's a nighttime scene that all of a sudden, you know, Ghidorah's dropping Angerus from Destroy All mm-hmm. Monsters and he just falls and I'm like, it's not even like close to the same landscape, you know? Um, yeah. But by and large, I mean, yeah. you know, it is at all of the Godzilla movies, you know, it is in last place for me currently, um, at least for this era, but not in all the movies we've discussed. Like, um, Bran is in last place for me, followed by uh, Space Amoeba. But, you know, it's definitely probably not the one I would personally revisit the most, but I will watch it with my son because for the first two thirds of the movie, I will stay awake and then I'll fall asleep at the end for his favorite part. And that totally works out. (laughs) See, that's funny because you mentioned the time shifting and the geography shifting, Uh but like it's a Power Rangers fan. Like I get so used to that where like suddenly it's the middle of the day and then it's like nighttime. It's like, oh, yeah. when did this shift happen? Or they're like fighting in a rock quarry and then suddenly they're in a forest. And I'm like, all they did was jump. Now they're in a forest. <laughs> but I think maybe I do. I Okay, I was a little cheeky earlier. But I think for like hearing what you just said, there is something about the fact that people who are extremely fluent in these movies do kind of pick up on it in a way that I don't. Like, yeah, I think it's you're definitely right that the seams are there to kind of combine both of what you're saying. Like you can tell when it's turns to stock footage, but for someone like me, I'm like, I know I've seen this in some movie before, but <laughs> I don't yeah. remember which one. Yeah. Even if it's like, yeah. Even if I know that the movie was called Godzilla versus Mothra and it's Godzilla and Mothra, I'd be like, Oh, I don't remember which one that one's from. <laughs> <laughs> There's something kind of inherently charming about, um, watching a you know a movie like that and you see the daytime switch You're like oh now it's day oh now it's night now the location changed it is it is sloppy like there's no way around it there's there's mm-hmm. slop there um when but again i saw the movie when i was a kid and i didn't i hadn't seen most of those movies at that point it was uh so i didn't it didn't really affect me the music uh cues being reused didn't affect me because i hadn't seen a lot of them mm-hmm. and uh whenever i watched the movie i noticed that you know, those are definitely flaws in the film, but it, it just reminds me of like a of when I first saw that I'm like, oh, I remember when I didn't know. Um, but now, yeah. like my my favorite example is um, the moment where and they the thing that kills me is that they used it again in Megalon is the scene where Gigan decides he's going to crawl around behind the trees just so they can use the War of the Gargantua's maser shot where they slice the trees yep. in half because it's a beautiful shot that they did for War of the Gargantua's with the, the explosions timed to the cell animation of the Mazers. And, you know, you can just barely see something moving back there, but they used it as an excuse to to have Geigen crawl around on on his his little blade arms. Like, it, it it's when you stop and think about it, it makes no sense. And it's like, it's just an excuse to use a cool old scene. But I don't know. I, I find, I mean, obviously that's that's not great, but I just, I just think that's 
really funny. And it, I don't know. It just makes me, mm-hmm. it, it makes me laugh in a good way. Like I'm not, I yeah. don't get like, you know, I'm not going to be too, too harsh on it or anything. I'm just like, Oh my gosh, look at him, look at him crawling. <laughs> That's totally guy again back right. there. I, I totally believe it. <laughs> yeah. And that's where, for me, I, I wouldn't say it's a bad film because of that, but it's definitely less enjoyable for me, right? You oh, know, you right. and I were talking about, you know, Mystery Science Theater before we started recording. Those are bad movies, a lot of them, but they're enjoyable. Like, you know, Cry Wilderness, yeah. we're talking about that. You know, like, it's an enjoyable <laughs> movie, but it's not good at all. Whereas yeah. this, I would actually say there's a lot of good things about it. It's just not necessarily enjoyable for me. But... You know, I will say, and this takes us into our talking points, you know, this is where we do start seeing a change in how Godzilla is perceived. Um, And, you know, I'm definitely, for this talking point at least, indebted to Dave Collat when he talks about postmodern critique. Um, So, you know, at this point in the film, it's very clear we're not dealing with, I mean, canonically, I guess you could argue it's a similar Godzilla to the original Right, but it's not the same Godzilla. It's not, no, no. you know, the same the same tone, same themes. You know, but you know, yes, he's become a superhero. It's it's inevitable that Ultraman and Gamera have largely influenced Godzilla in a way that you you couldn't have predicted in the early 60s. But you know, that isn't to say that there aren't levels of interpretation for this film, right? You know, like our show is proof of that, that you can read way too much into these movies and come away with different ideas. So, you know, like for, first of all, you know, we get the monsters that Gango comes up with. Um, Dave Klatt rightly points out that these, these monsters aren't deep. They're very surface level. You know, you have the homework monster and the, what was it? The nagging girlfriend monster? The, or was the it monster the monster of two strict mothers, Mama that, that That was it. Yeah, yes. but he based it on his on his girlfriend. That was oh, it. Oh, very much so, um, yes. <laughs> you know, but that's the thing is, what's interesting is even creating those monsters, it's why the aliens accepted those monsters because they were easily commodified. You know, they were safe. Um, they are marketable, right? So... Yeah. You know, and that's a lot of talking points kind of condense, you know, very quickly. But I think there's something to be said about this movie almost being self-critiquing, right? Where the way that, and maybe in a way, you know, being asked to make a movie like this, being such a drastic departure with what Bono had done with Godzilla vs. Hedera, you know, I think there are a lot of different levels here where you can critique what Godzilla has become up to this point. And obviously, Chris hasn't watched any movies after this yet, but knowing where it's going to go as well. So really, my thought here is we have the Godzilla that was the symbol of, you know, as we've discussed, human hubris and, you know, greed and violence. And now we have a Godzilla that with his ratty flesh tendril hanging off of his arms, (laughs) uh, monster coming to save the day. Right. So. Is there a proper approach to the genre or is it really up to preference for how to make a right Godzilla movie? That is the question, isn't it? That's um, that's a question that pops up a lot because it, it is really the, the, the question between is it the right way or is it the way that you prefer the most? And are those two things the same thing? Um, my 
my personal philosophy is that I, I always like to tell people there's a Godzilla for all seasons because there really is. Um, it didn't start out that way, but as the character has progressed over, oh my gosh, almost 66 years now of, of history, Godzilla's gotten to the point where I, I kind of consider him, um, I mean, it's no secret that the character is a very malleable character that you can do a lot of different interesting things with. And in a lot of ways, I, I equate that to how Batman as a character is handled a lot. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at how Batman is handled uh, and has been handled since his inception, there are so many different ways you can approach that character. I mean, just the broad strokes, you've got, you know, silly Adam West 1966 Batman. You've got, you know, uh, darker Tim Burton Batman. You've got very gritty, real Christopher Nolan Batman. You've got, you know, and then you have animated stuff. And then you have all these different tones, all these different takes on the character I'd argue there's no right, quote unquote, right, correct Batman. I'd argue that it, depending on the person you're talking to, every single one of those att like attempts to tell the, a story with the character are equally valid, but for different reasons. And that's what I think about Godzilla, because, um, you know, there's an argument to me made that, you know, all of the films that follow the original film delegitimized the seriousness that, you know, that created the character. But it's evolved so much past that to that point that we have, you know, heroic Godzillas and metaphorical Godzillas and Godzillas that are, you know, forces of nature, good, you know, evil ones, good ones. Now we, we have we, Chibi Godzilla. We have Chibi Godzilla, Chibi Gojira. We've got um, a Godzilla possessed by World War II spirits. We have a, a, a plant Godzilla in an anime. You know, we have Godzillas that represent different things. We have Godzillas that fight against different things. We have Godzillas in different mediums i mean you know you have your movies and then you have something like i'm a i'm a really big fan of the the godzilla island tv show from the 90s where they use toys yeah uh, i i adore i make no apologies i adore godzilla island and that's equally valid to me too to bring the character to life in a kid show with with you know rubber toys it's different approaches to the same character but different versions of the character so i'd argue that an approach like with Gigan, where he's basically an anthropomorphic superhero, is just as valid as presenting him as a very serious, dark, allegorical destroyer of worlds, but it's in, but for different reasons. And I wouldn't say that any any particular version is better or worse. I think it's just up to preference. I like them all. Personally, there are some people that prefer kid-friendly Godzilla. There are some people that like the more serious allegorical Godzilla, but I think... Um, that not only is there room for every kind of Godzilla that there is, but there's also room for all of the people that enjoy the different ones to, to do so and hopefully do so without people, you know, being, being mean to them about it. Cause that always mm -hmm. sucks. You know, the thing is you could have made up half of what you just said and I really would be able to tell if you were lying or not. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, honest, I hear that a lot. Honest to <laughs> God, you said some of that stuff and it's like, one of these has to be fake. No, I'm so glad that you don't know about all this because you're you're mentioning these things about movies he hasn't seen. I'm like, oh, I swear to God, I hope he forgets about it by the time we get no. there so he can well, be surprised be fair, by it again. To be fair, I'm going to listen to the episode and I'll be like, oh, yeah, and then I'll forget. So don't you worry. <laughs> Trust um, me, man. I, I, it's, I, 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 I'm excited for you to get to some of those things because, uh, you know, if I say like something kind of vague, you know, I, I if it plants that part of that little thing in your brain that's like what did he just say yeah. what did he say like yeah then we, then when you get there you're gonna be like oh oh okay so it's a wild journey my friend 
It is a wild <laughs> journey. Yeah. You know, it's funny though because you you y'all, y'all both probably know what I'm about to say here. And if you don't, you'll figure it out real soon. But like there's there's definitely something about like you want to talk about tonal shifts and I kind of see like three directions you can go where like one of the directions is you're slavishly devoted to the original, which is of course Star Wars, where mm-hmm. um three of the 11 movies are the same movie. And you don't really go anywhere. And this whole, like, we have to be so originalist means we don't have any room for creativity. Like, it hurts. It hurt the last one. Um, Hurts. I mean, it hurts our expectations. But then you can also go in the other direction. And examples aren't forthcoming as I'd like them to be. But I think we all know about series that are really long. That if you watch the first... Oh, okay, Doctor Who. I mean, I know we're not all... Like, like you got the first Doctor... Um, you've got Hart, Hart, Hartnell's doctor and it's like an education show with time travel there's no real aliens and now 13 iterations later she's a time traveling woman who um, deals with monsters of the week dealt with Satan once and it's like okay, the first episode was that like King Tut and now this one's about like angels that transport you in time like that's you know there's that kind of change where it's like the show's completely different. It's hard to tell from episode one to episode whatever that's the same show at times. And, okay, here's where you're going to be like, oh my god, I know, it's, I, this is Chris. But you want to talk about a series for me that could be where Godzilla is? It's like the Sentai series. You look oh my at, god, I can't believe Chris said that. I know. That but is like, so look, Chris. Like, <laughs> the, first, the first series, like Go Ranger, you look at Go Ranger, and then you look now at... Um, Kira Major, and you can tell they're the same series, but along the way, you've had like Battle Fever J, you've had Magic, Fantasy, um, like Mysteries, Parodies, mm-hmm. but you know it's the same series. And that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. So, for what I'm saying, like, what if we've lost the heart of the atomic analogies, which is it's sad, don't get me wrong. I would love if we were still on that level. There's nothing about this film that I look at and think, well, this is just completely detached from the first one. Like, I still feel like that there's still that through line enough there for me um, that says, here's how we got from 54 to 98 to indefinitely in the future. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think you've got a good point there. Cause even with like Ultraman, right? So you have Ultra Q, which. You know, it's its own separate thing. But going from the original Ultraman to Ultraman Z, you know, yes, you could tell it's the same series. But then, as I was telling Chris, you know, I just finished Ultraman Nexus. And that show is so drastically different than every other series. Oh, yeah. But it's still within the same series. And the thing I think I struggle with here is I agree. I think there's room for every kind of Godzilla. Right, well, Minus Rule 34 Godzilla. But like, I think there's room for for all that. And yeah, the faces you guys are making. But the the thing is, you know, you can say, well, it lost its footing. It lost its message. But the thing is, how many people would even care about the original if these changes weren't made, right? Because even the original Japanese version, I mean, is just a recent acquisition here in the states or at least it's it hasn't been something that you've really been able to acquire uh legally apart from the past what like 
15, maybe 20 years. You know, it's it's yeah, not something, like that. something that, yeah, it's not something I grew up with. I grew up with, you know, 1956, King of the Monsters, you know, and I didn't realize. I mean, I knew it was Japanese, but like, I never knew. You don't know. I could watch like, the Japanese version. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so I think there's something to be said about that where, yes, maybe things did get lost along the way, but we wouldn't be able to even have these conversations if it didn't happen. So is that right. a good or bad thing? I don't know. I don't think any of us could say, but it's, it's definitely something that I can understand why it happened. Um, I also was thinking of parallels between like public figures where you could say Jesus or you could say Martin Luther King Jr. or even Malcolm X. You know, it's it's very easy to take someone in history and co-opt what they originally stood for and do something else, right? Because we've had discussions on the show about like white Jesus. Well, white Jesus was not first century Jewish Jesus, you know, so I wouldn't argue that that's an appropriate change, right? It does drastically change who the original was or the Martin Luther King Jr. who was, you know, wouldn't even hurt a fly, right? No, I mean, he's, he was very radical. No one, you know, within white communities really liked Martin Luther King Jr. yet now, if there's ever a protest, that's who gets cited, right? By a conservative talking point. So it's very easy to change an original or who someone was. And I think that is off the table. Like you shouldn't do that, but it's a movie about a giant monster. I mean, yes, there were deeper themes, but even Ishiro Honda is on the record of saying that like he embraced those changes. Like before the 1998 version came out when it was going to get released in 94 or whenever that first draft, he was excited to see what was going to happen. Right, because he wanted to see something fresh. He was bored and tired and not impressed by what Toho had been producing at that point. So if the guy that helped create this was even like, yeah, something needs to change, then I would say, you know, we should be okay with that too. You know, the last film we're gonna discuss in this era, I mean, it's definitely not your stereotypical Godzilla film, at least in light of the original, but he's the one who directed it. He should know best, and he made one of my favorite films, you know? So I just, it is interesting to see that people just think that it has to fall within these parameters when, yeah, like I said, we wouldn't be having this conversation if it, if, if Godzilla was made in our image. <laughs> there you go. But, so, the main talking point, I guess we're not the main talking point, um, <laughs> so the last, yeah. So the last talking point we have here. Um, so the running theme in this movie, which was kind of unique for not being a Honda film, was just this idea about peace, right? So it's not uncommon to have movies where aliens come down and they present a a way to try to. I don't know. I'm trying to think of the right word. Like offer a compromise right so with like the mysterians what was it like hey give us some space and your you know space to live in your women and we'll we'll leave you alone kind of thing um and you know and then obviously with destroy all monsters they they tried to do their whole thing by you know using the monsters to take over the world but hey we'll still allow you guys peace we just want to live under the volcano right this time around there's like no negotiations at all 
the cockroaches come down. They're just like, hey, we're just going to eradicate the entire earth and terraform it. And we're not even going to give you guys a chance to like do anything. We're just going to do it. So what got me thinking is this idea about peace is brought up. But like, what does peace actually mean? Because we have the aliens who think peace is conquest and a singular way of thinking, right? Because that's what they want to do is they just want to have a existence that conforms to their ideas and worldview. Um, But is that what peace really is? And what does that mean? Not only on an individual level, but I'm going to kind of open this up within our our fan community as well, um, as there have been spats of tension, especially since we're in lockdown, well, not lockdown anymore, but in this pandemic, right? So what does that mean to you guys? So the difference between like keeping peace and making peace. Wow, that's that is, that is a very deep question, though. Man, it's it's interesting how they kind of go about it in the movie because, as you say, peace seems to be defined multiple ways within the film itself. Um, because one of my favorite lines, specifically from the the, the dubbed version that um, I, I grew up with, is when Gengo first voices his. Uh, trepidation about working with World Children's Land, and he says that they keep talking about perfect peace, and uh, Tomoko says, a nice ideal, and uh, it kind of, it's interesting when you look at it like that, because when you say, yeah, peace, let's make peace happen, let's do peace, it's kind of sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Like, let's do, like, peace sounds like a good idea, it's a nice ideal, but something about it has made Gengo upset in the film. Like you can look at him and he's grumbling about how they keep talking about peace and he's obviously uncomfortable with it. And I don't think he quite knows why until he finds out that the, 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 the nebulans, the cockroaches have their own very unique uh, definition of what peace is because they came from a planet that's they claim was very similar to ours. And of course they weren't the dominant species on their planet. Mm-hmm. They were they were the lower life forms, and they watched as the humanoid race on their world destroyed it to the point where when they killed themselves off, they didn't have a they couldn't stay on that world. They had to leave. They had to go find another world. So, peace to them is something that they lost. That they maybe they don't even quite know what it is. You know, the peace is something that's better than where they came from, but an approximation of what they lost. And to them, peace means. Um, creating a world in their image. It means creating something that benefits them and not everyone. So that's them making peace. That's them trying to force peace, but peace based on a very narrow set of, uh, a very narrow definition, their Mm -hmm. own definition. So um, I suppose keeping peace, and again, this is, this kind of steps out of the movie a little bit and just to, you know, keeping peace in general is not imposing anything on anyone. At least that's what I'd say. You're not, you're not imposing things, but you're just trying to keep it civil. You know, you're trying to keep things positive. You're not trying to force anything onto anyone. You're just trying to say, let's be who we are and let's, you know, let's not hurt each other. You know, let's not say mean things to each other. Let's not do mean things to each other. It's not about forcing anyone or anything to do anything or say anything. It's all about trying to keep a positive environment 
set up, you know, just kind of keeping it stable, keep keeping a positive status quo and trying to make people or not make again, not make people, but keep people happy, you know, keep people from being bad to each other. But then it gets to that slippery slope point where you're like, well, how can I can't enforce keeping peace? Because then it starts to get into the territory of, again, enforcing your will and what your idea of peace is onto other people. So where's the line? You know, where's the line? Now, I don't I don't know this, if this movie is quite deep enough to, you know, answer that question. But um, it is an interesting question. It is. So it's there's there's a middle ground in there. There's a line in there somewhere. And uh, it's it's easier to tell one from the other than to figure out where the middle ground is. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a it's an interesting question. What do you think, Chris? Oh, I, yeah. well, I see David pulling out a book. Yeah, I've always oh, uh, got a book. Oh, let's take a look at yeah. the book. <laughs> no, we're good. Yeah. I'll, I'll wait. You're good, Chris. Well, I, I, all I'm thinking is that peace and peacemaking has been a very frequent, very um, weekly discussion on our show. So mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what's like saying, hey, let's, if we're hearing someone else, but this, I would say like true peace is one wherein um, defined by love, everyone acts in like just relation with one another which i can see when you've got cockroaches that possess human corpses meaning a little throwing a little bit of a wrench in that kind of concept of peace but um, (laughs) it does it does make you um i guess that's the question posed maybe by the film maybe by us that warrants us to ask like if someone doesn't want to make peace and their definition of their own well-being is unattainable in the current structure, what uh, reaction do we have? Mm-hmm. Because when we look at the world today, when there are people who say under the current structures, I cannot live a safe and well um, intended, a well intended, well-meaning life. And we would say, you know what, actually probably some of these structures don't work for everybody. So we do have to acknowledge that, but um, I don't know. I guess the the question the film that I would like to answer is like, could could the human possessing cockroaches live on Earth as is? And mm-hmm. they seem to think no. But yeah, and that's and that's kind of where I don't know if it necessarily answers any questions, but I think it presents an interesting question because. Danny, you were saying something that I didn't even really make the connection until now. Um, so obviously with the with the cockroaches, they were lowest rung in their previous world, right? And they were literally stepped on, right? And they watched how this world pretty much self-destruct and they realized they needed to go somewhere else to survive. So now they are on a planet with people who they argue are similar to what they've already experienced. So right there, they have that baggage of, well, these people are this way. So we know how you guys are going to be here. But what we see is the oppressed now becoming the oppressors. Right. And that's something that unfortunately is not brought up very often um, because it's not really a popular topic. But I know when I took my uh, class on uh, pastoral care and abuse, we talked about the cycles of abuse and how it's a very permeable cycle, 
right? Where you can go from being the abused to the abuser very quickly and then go back. It's not a static thing, mm-hmm. right? So we see these people who had been downtrodden and oppressed now taking on the role of enacting their peacekeeping and oppressing others, potentially wiping them out. So I think there is something there to be said about, okay, well, their original concerns about, you know, they they deserve to, I mean, we can't see that they were inherently evil, right? You know, so they deserve to have a life that they should be able to live and prosper freely. Um, now they're trying to find a way to do it, but is it freedom and prosperity for them if they are doing that at the cost of others, which we've mm-hmm. discussed capitalism and other things of that nature and how tricky that can be. So I think for me, the reason I'm thinking about all this is because, you know, it's what typically stems from this idea of not having peace, whether it's within a fan community, within relationships, whether it's politics, is we we hold on to feelings that we shouldn't hold on to, I guess is the right word, right? So Jesus talks about how, you know, before we make a sacrifice, we need to forgive those. Uh, we Those who have wronged us, we need to make amends with our brothers before we do these things. And I was initially going to talk about, you know, Matthew 5, because blessed are the peacekeepers or uh, peacemakers, excuse me. Um, but I ended up on James 3 and talking about jealousy and ambition, because it talks about how you know, where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, without uncertainty or insincerity. And there was a ancient writer named Cassiodorus who wrote, the mature faithful should not have any bitterness or jealousy in them, since such things are not given by God, but are conceived by diabolical fraud. For where there is jealousy, there is strife, disloyalty, and every kind of evil which divine authority condemns. So I think like these cockroaches, they they wanted this prosperity and life that we are, that these people in the movie had. Um, They wanted it so badly that they were willing to destroy people, to have it, right? It was their, this this jealousy, this, this need to have control and to have power that was going to lead them to committing mass murder. Mm -hmm. And isn't that kind of what it boils down to when we see disorder in our communities? You know, it's, it's a lack of loving others. It's a lack of um, maybe not sharing every single opinion that we have, right? We just assume, well, I have this thought, so I need to share it. We don't consider what implications there will be for saying these things even years down the road you know we don't it's like it's all of a sudden something's unearthed and we're like well i didn't mean for that to be that way but we don't think about what our words are doing now so we're definitely not thinking about five years down the road so when we see disorder in a community or a relationship nine times out of ten it's for a lack of regard or love for others so that's really what i feel like this movie is just kind of stems from is this like a race of bugs had been hurt and abused so badly that they were so wounded that they were taking that anger and angst and pain and enacting it on others instead of allowing, you know, themselves to forgive the conditions that they've been in. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
that's yeah that's a really good again it's like it's what you guys talk about are like you know reading too much into the movies right like it's this is the kind of stuff that keeps me coming back to a lot of these movies especially the ones that people don't necessarily think might have that depth to them because even if you have to kind of read that depth into what the film is giving you uh i i love the kind of conversations and you know thought the thought kind of thought process that thinking about it like that brings out i find that this movie is one of the godzilla films that i think gives people a lot to potentially chew on whether or not that was the intent of the creators is irrelevant at the end of the day Mm -hmm. because it just it creates a really cool discussion and it gets you thinking about you know the nature of peace and how to define it and whether whether or not that who is defining it means something like you know if person a defines it this way and person b defines it this way what's the right definition and is are either of those choices even right in the first place who are we to say that person a or b is correct and where's again where's that middle ground so you one of those things that you don't think you're going to get out of a movie about uh body snatching cockroaches uh <laughs> and a giant buzzsaw chicken that's a buzzsaw chicken and a three-headed space dragon like you, you don't think of that but i just i i love having that those kinds of discussions because it, i just i like thinking and you know any excuse to find something interesting to think about like that ah i just love it it's awesome but it really needs to be argued can cockroaches even feel can they have emotions Ooh. Because that right there just throws the whole movie apart if they can't do that. I mean, you know, we're talking about giant dragons, which whatever, I can suspend my disbelief for that. But But, but, cockroaches and moral decisions, I don't know. That's too far, man. That's a bridge too far. I I, I definitely see why Kimura was like, I'm done. Like, he's just like, this is just, this is too outlandish for me. Come on, guys. Yeah, he, he kind of, he again, he kind of fell off the map at this point and he, he did. He was never really into writing for for genre pictures. He created his magnum opus in 1963, the film that he thought was his best, which was Matongo. Um, and after and after that, he was he just kind of didn't he didn't care as much anymore. And uh, I one of my favorite stories is uh, in the mid 60s, he walked up to uh, Sekizawa and apparently said something along the lines of, "Do you really enjoy writing this stuff?" <laughs> and Sekizawa who of course was a big happy kid who loved writing monster movies was like, I do, I really enjoy it. And of course, Kimura looked at him and said, I don't. <laughs> Great. <laughs> true, true but, see, but see, here's the thing is, you know, Matango for, for my list of the show of films, it's currently number five, you know, and then it's you have, so uh, and then you have, oh, who, uh, who wrote Atragon? That was Kimura too, right? That was uh, Sekizawa. Oh, it was. Okay. Okay. Now, 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 no. I'm, now I'm second guessing myself. Now that I'm saying it. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't have, have this pulled this up out. and I'm just riffing. That's the thing. We're not allowed to be wrong. We have to be above reproach. Yes. Here. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> hey, okay. while you're looking that up, let me share my. Yeah, it was Sekizawa. Okay. Okay. I was right. Woo. Yes. All right, theological oh, yeah. insight. Boom, let's right. go. So in this movie, you've got a tower built to resemble uh, the monster island, right? And Godzilla hears a report. 
from the radio and says, let us go down and see what the humans are doing. And then they come down and God destroys the tower. Uh, similarly, in the Tower of Babel, in Genesis 11, you have all of humanity building a tower to reach the heavens. And God says... You know, y'all are laughing, but I'm seeing some parallels here. That's the crazy thing. So God, just like Godzilla, (laughs) says, let's go down and see what the humans are doing. And then God comes out and destroys the tower and sends the humans all over the planet. Just like he sends the cockroaches, uh, you know, scattering. So uh, that's kind of cool. Genesis 11. Godzilla and Angerus are uh, God in this one again. Uh, Usually I can get through those, but not tonight. Not no, even that's, for me, that was going a little. I, I'm going to tell you, I think that the Godzilla Tower actually does have signif- like a fair amount of significance to it on a kind of meta level. Yeah. Um, the idea that these, you know, again, these these very corporate aliens took, you know, the image of, of Godzilla and replicated him in this very kind of easy-to-market corporate you know, a palatable thing for the for the population to come and visit and give them money, and then it almost kills the real Godzilla. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's some. I feel like there's something going on there. I feel like, I don't know. There's something very hubrisy uh, in there, and there's also something very meta in there. I think yeah. too. So, I don't know. I mean, it, Tower Sounds of Babel. Good. You know, may, maybe there's something there. The consumeration of the human image and the direct affront to God. The consumeration of Godzilla's image as the direct result affront to Godzilla. I, I, I'm I'm not the I, one who's saying it. It's it's. I'm going to jump there. on board and say I kind of like this idea. Like this is this is it's again it's one of those things that makes you think. I like it. Yeah. I will say there is something to be said about taking a dangerous or volatile idea like Godzilla and making it like you said it's it's you're packaging it and you've you turn it into something that we can consume right so now the thing that used to terrorize japan now you can go up and go on an elevator and you can take selfies with it right it's that's that yeah there's yeah. there's definitely and a that lot the story of zillow or zilly or whatever that cartoon one's name is godzuki yeah that for <laughs> godzuki yeah <laughs> He's probably going to be my favorite, too. Well, thankfully for you, we won't get into that because we're not covering the TV show. You should totally watch it anyway. Yeah, you actually (laughs) should. I loved it as a kid. Yeah, I I loved it as a kid, too. (laughs) All right, Danny. So this is your chance. Plug yourself. Where can people find you and how can people get behind your project? Alrighty, Uh, here we go. So, um... I absolutely love talking with Godzilla fans just in general. I love talking about, you know, if anybody wants to ask questions about the project, things like that, or just, you know, tell me what your favorite Godzilla movie is. I would love to chat with you. I, I love chatting with Godzilla fans. So it's, I'm, I'm always up for it. So if you, um, if you would like to follow along with the project and or talk to me, uh, the best places to get a hold of me are at uh, Twitter, uh, Godzilla novelization project on Twitter. My handle is, uh, danzilla93 underscore gnp um i'm cruising in at something like 2100 
followers right now. It's kind of mind blowing. I don't know how that happened, awesome. but um, it's really honestly humbling to see. So a lot, a lot of, a lot of awesome people are followers on Twitter. So I, I'm always up for talking on there. Um, I have a Godzilla Novelization Project Facebook page. Uh, I can be emailed at uh, Godzilla Novelization Project at gmail.com. Um, and again, feel free to, you know, give me feedback, constructive criticism. Uh, tell me what your favorite thing that I've, I've done is. Tell me what your favorite Godzilla movie is. Tell me if there's, you know, there's stuff on the website that I need to fix. Please, you know, like I, that's, <laughs> I, constructive criticism is more than welcome. Please, please, please do that. Um, and uh, compliments are always nice as well. I, I always, I love, I love, it, 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 it fuels my creativity when people tell me, nice nice things because it's it always it warms my heart so um yeah definitely go there and talk to me on social the social medias uh the website itself is godzilla novelization project.com pretty easy to remember um there you can leave comments on the website but you need a, a wordpress account to do it so um if you do go ahead and leave comments but other than that um reach out to me on social media or send emails uh if you would like to uh uh, and this is always the hard part for me because I'm terrible at plugging Patreon because I hate asking people for money. Give but, them money. Um, yeah, yeah, please. No, but um, it, it, in all seriousness, um, as I continue to laugh, in all seriousness, the, the having like monetary support is really the only way this project will get done in a timely manner. This project requires a lot. I mean, I. I've got a lot of floating up in my brain and I've got a lot of research material, but I'm, I still need more. I need time to work on things and I need resources to make this happen and to make it the books as good as they can be. Um, this isn't something that's, you know, just a, a silly little thing I'm putting some time into. This is a dedicated long-term project that I am in uh, to do for the long haul. And uh, to that end, I do have a Patreon account. Um, I'm, I'm, gradually growing in patrons right now i have eight lovely patrons right now and i'm getting very close How to many the ugly ones <laughs> no they're they're all lovely beautiful wonderful people don't listen to chris patreon people don't you're you're, you're lovely people um no i i love my patreon supporters they uh they make this this project possible uh supporting on patreon enables me to get research material sometimes it's expensive and from japan so the help is always welcome mm. it allows me to take time off of my uh real world big boy grown-up job uh so that i can write my monster stories uh and it'll also be able to, it'll it'll go towards technology that i can use later on it'll go towards hiring translators that kind of thing and merch production eventually i'm this close to being able to produce t-shirts and physical things that I can give to people and that'll be its own tier. But as of right now, um, a dollar on Patreon will uh, give you behind the scenes access to like blogs that I write that talk about the, the creative process and pretty much any like, you know, update that I have for content on the site, you'll get to know about it. Um, if you want to read that content, like chapters and uh, short stories and things like that, 24 hours early, uh, $5 a month will get you that. Now, if you, if you are like really into it, $10 a month, which is a lot, but it will get your name in one of the books. Um, there are a lot of characters in the Godzilla movies that are just kind of there and they don't have names. And I've, <laughs> I have, I, I've started, I actually have, um, a fair, a fair number of people that are, that are either at $10 or are interested in eventually doing $10. And I will put your name in a book as a previously unnamed character, your choice of movie. And um, I will I will put you in there and I will 
for, for what it's worth, quote unquote, canonize you. Mm. Uh, just kind of a fun thing. And eventually there'll be higher tiers for physical merchandise and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I mean, that's where you can find me. That's how you can support me. Again, I don't, I cannot, will not, would not sell these books. They are online at the website, free to read. I have, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't sell them if I wanted to, but I don't want to. I, I can't. The lawyers um, don't listen. What was I now? The lawyers stop listening. Yeah, that's right. So, so lawyers, you can I, trust me. I'm, I, I'm on the level. I'm on the level. No funny business. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I. This is a completely free labor of love. Um, the books are all being put up online. They won't ever be in print uh, again for legal reasons. So. Um, you know, monetary support is nice. Uh, telling, you know, saying nice things about what I write is nice, but really the biggest thing I can ask is that a, you, you check it out and B, if you check it out and you like it, you, you share it with other Godzilla Mm -hmm. fans, people that might enjoy it. And maybe it'll, maybe it'll brighten their day. I don't know. I'm, I'm all, like I said it before, I'm all about spreading, uh, positivity and, um, just, just, you know, good vibes as it were just kind of just making people happy in whatever way i can i mean i'm you know i who, who am i to say that right but i i you know if i can put a smile on someone's face especially this year uh it's it's kind of a kind of been a rough time but i've had people people reach out to me and tell me that my stuff has entertained them and that just means the absolute world to me so if i can spread that positivity and just you know, that's that's all i can ask for so if you enjoy it, let me know. And, um, you know, if you do share it with people and let me know what you think. And I, I, I thank you guys for checking it out. And I thank you guys for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us. And, uh, it's very clear what your love language is. You love your words of affirmation. <laughs> yes, I do. I, I, I I'm very, i the last couple of words, <laughs> have, last couple of years have, have, uh, doing this project have filled me with gratitude. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing and, wrong with yeah. that, right? No, no, no. Patrons I, sign up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm very, very, I'm just humbled every day about yeah. how, with how this has been received and the support I've gotten for it. So I, uh, any chance I can get to just tell people how thank, legitimately deeply thankful I am. It's, oh, I will always take that opportunity because I, it really does mean the world. Yeah. I think Chris and I are in a pretty similar spot where it's been humbling to be like, oh God, like we actually have done something for people. That's yeah, absolutely. Cool. You guys have, <laughs> but, uh, Chris, do you have any final thoughts before we, we close out here? No, I've shared my two gems. Of yes. <laughs> and they were the jimmiest of them all. <laughs> all right. Thank you again, everyone for tuning into the Kaiju Apostle podcast. If you like what you heard, have a comment you would like to share or I actually have no off the cuff riff this week. Uh, make sure to let um, us know over on our Twitter page. Our handle is Kaiju Apostle Pod, or you can send us an email at contact at the com. You can also follow Chris over on Twitter at Chris Worms, W-E-R-M-S. And Chris, what are you watching? Oh, a generous benefactor has helped me start Ultra Q. <laughs> um, oh, was that you? Oh, I, thank I, you. Um, <laughs> no, to be fair, though, I've only watched like one episode, mm-hmm. but it was a fantastic episode. So, it only gets better. Yeah, it's... I mean, honestly. So... We talk about Ultraman Z a lot, but I think David and I were probably going to be getting a little Ultra Q up in here. Oh, yeah. Um, 
and then I'll probably, uh, thankfully, since the first Ultraman series is coming to Tokushatsu in November, I'll try and do Ultra Q and then start Ultraman. Uh, take a little Sentai break while Beast Morphers is airing in America. So yeah, I was gonna say, are you watching any Sentai right now? Nope, because um, it's been really hard for me to watch something that I have to uh, read. So I've been like, I don't want to half-ass it. So yeah, <laughs> holy crap, we made it almost two hours, and that's our first swear word. <laughs> oh shoot. <laughs> Oh, uh, at least it. it's one of the ones that Stephen Smith allows on his Twitter page. So yeah, it's there you go. So, <laughs> all right. But until next time, may Mothra watch over you, Godzilla empower you, and High Priest Moist Minya bring you joy. Bye.